Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. This episode is brought to you by Wondery's Business Movers, SetApp, AirMedCare, and Nebia. And joining me this week is my fellow iPad Pro M1 friend, Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Pretty good, Stephen. Uh, coming at you uh, not in Dolby Atmos this week. Not in Dolby Atmos, but you are coming to me through that new M1 iPad Pro. You got yours in the last week or so. What uh, What's your, been your experience? How are you liking it? Uh, pretty good so far. Nothing really to comment on just yet because, as everyone said, uh, we're all holding our breath for WWDC. Overall, things have been working well. Seems like, you know, having 16 gigs of RAM does actually keep more apps open, even though uh, individual apps can't really take advantage of it. Right. The overall experience is better, not losing tabs in Safari as quickly, not dumping information from editors and stuff. So it's pretty nice so far. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what next week will bring. Yeah, so am I. And so as you listen to this, if you listen when it airs, which is Friday, and Apple Podcasts has been a little better at delivering our episodes on the day it actually comes out. And so WWDC is just a few days away. Monday, June 7th is going to be the big announcement keynote where Apple announces all their updated OSs. And everyone is looking to see what will happen with iPad OS. And so we'll talk in a moment at length about our hopes and to preview WWDC. WWDC and all that might be coming, but we're going to get through just a little bit of news before we get to that. First of all, Apple Podcasts, we have all been waiting for Apple to release the podcast subscriptions service and the channels that they announced back at the April 20 event. I've been waiting because I've set it up a long time ago. For podcast creators, you've been able to log into the podcast creator dashboard, set up the channels, even set up the subscriptions. I've had that set up for weeks now. And Apple said it's going to come in May, it's going to come in May, kind of radio silence for a few weeks. And then Apple actually released an email to all podcast creators saying that, well, we're trying to work out the bugs. They acknowledged that there's been lots of bugginess as far as delivering episodes and all that. So it looks like Apple podcast subscriptions and channels will come in June. No early June, mid-June, late June, nothing like that. Apple just said it will come in June. And so waiting for that to happen. And we'll let you all know, of course. I'll be tweeting about it as soon as I see it show up in the app. But hopefully they fix some of those bugs too because episode links, even after we've had iOS 14.6 and the betas of 14.7, there's still some things really broken in the Apple Podcasts app. So again, you might want to take this opportunity to check out like Overcast or Pocket Cast or some of the many great third-party podcasting apps. This has definitely been a weird rollout for Apple. I was just now thinking, uh, can you think of any other rollouts from Apple that's that's affected so many users or uh, creators all at once? Just complete destruction of Apple Podcasts, the inability to listen to new episodes from many shows, uh, just all of this happening at once. It, it seems like a very uh, poorly managed rollout for Apple very rare on their side. I think so. Cause even, I mean, Apple music would be the other creator driven service. And that's not really, I think had any kind of outage like this. Although podcasting is, is unique because there's so many podcasts, so many episodes that come out every week, some every day, where if there's ever an issue, even just for a day, you know, there's going to be hundreds of podcast creators that notice. And if you're a musician and your album is already published and it can be bought if it went down for a day, I'm sure there would be many cries. <laughs> People couldn't buy albums or listen to Apple Music. But I, I could be wrong. I don't have any information on this. If there are any listeners who work at Apple, hello, listener, I would love to know confidentially what the podcast team is like inside Apple. The only experience I've had is when these issues first started happening and I literally called Apple support 
It seemed like no one really knew where that department was or who was in charge of support for podcast creators. I was pointed to like iTunes media store and all this weird stuff. So I would love to know if any of you listeners are at Apple and you have any information on like the podcast team within Apple. I'd love to know. But anyway, podcast subscriptions. The, w- the way I think about it is, is uh, it, there's only seven people and they're either working on photos, contacts or podcasts. <laughs> At any given moment, but they can only do one. No. And Apple just happens to move them around uh, depending on what's happening that week. Or or the text edit team is the same as the podcast team. And they, they go back and there forth. You they go. go back and forth. Yeah, I could feel that. Or maybe it's the system preferences team. Anyway, I would love to know. Apple people, reach out. I'm on Twitter, at Stephen Robles. DMs are open. Okay, I saw you just sneak this news in here right after the podcast, and it's Ted Lasso news. And why don't you tell us, what is this? Ted Lasso. I can't not let this slide by. Sure, sure. Everyone's been yelling for merchandise for Apple TV Plus content. And while we knew about Mythic Quest having some secretly hidden away on Ubisoft's website, Ted Lasso is finally getting some official merch from Apple, question mark. It it didn't really say. Apparently, the showrunner, anyway, he was on the podcast, Fake Doctors, Real Friends, and he brought up the fact that there will soon be Ted Lasso merch available. Um, Didn't say where. Could be the Apple Store. Could be a... Uh, probably a merch website specifically designed for this. If I had to guess, they said that there's going to be some initial stuff. So that's probably going to be a, you know, coffee mug or a hat. And then later on this year in September, we'll see actual jerseys available for purchase. And who knows how much of these are going to cost or if they're meant to be worn or hung on a wall or whatever, but um, we'll see. I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I like buying random merch from the things that I love. And uh, Ted Lasso is definitely one of those. So very cool. We'll put a link in show notes to that article as well. Keep your eye out as we cover the merch. Now, spatial audio for Apple Music and Lossless. We've not seen any kind of official release, but it seems like there are signs of it. Some users have been reporting that spatial audio has been appearing in the control center as they listen to certain things in Apple Music. I've also seen the Apple digital master symbol on a couple songs, which I guess might be the lossless. It might be something different. Yeah, Wes, tell me what exactly is going on here. Yeah, I've, I've been living inside of this just waiting for something to pop up. The Apple digital master is has been around forever. It's like a rebranded thing from Apple where they mastered for iTunes or something. Yeah, mastered for iTunes. ITunes. And that's this is the new version of that. It's it's uh, audio uploaded in, I think, 24-bit channels. It's in AAC still. It's just better recorded content available through Apple Music. That's always been there. I, there's a lot of albums in Apple Music that's recorded this way. It's just meant to sound better. I believe it also ties into the HomePod and AirPod algorithms. They can see that this content's there and use the algorithms to better balance or whatever they do there. That will show up next to the Apple Lossless and Dolby Atmos and Spatial Audio icons. They're all separate icons. So when there's something available, Lossless, there'll be that icon. Hi-Res will have its own icon and Dolby Atmos will have its own icon. Anything that's Dolby Atmos compatible will work with Spatial Audio. So again, lovely confusion from Apple uh, because they're just staying silent. There there are some movements around this. Uh, Apple released their new artist-facing portal the other day for getting lossless content and spatial audio uploaded to Apple Music. And so everything's kind of moving into place. We should see this pretty much any day now uh, that we're in June. I'm I'm expecting uh, it'll be a little drop off at the end of WWD. 
DC's keynote. Right. It's just one of those things. Uh, it, you're not going to see it uh, if you're in the U.S. Most likely, I haven't been able to find anything, but there have been reports online from people in Europe and Asia, specifically Korea, seeing these icons show up in certain albums, specifically, especially video albums. And this is because, as I mentioned last time I was on the show, every music video in Apple Music right now, if you're on 14.6 or later, will play with spatial audio. And you'll see that in Control Center. But that doesn't mean that it's Dolby Atmos optimized. It just means that the headphones are taking the available channels, setting the center channel to the device you're listening on. So any music video you listen to right now, it doesn't matter if it came out in 1985 or today, will be in spatial audio right now. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Well, keep an eye out for that. Yes. And I imagine WWDC will hear about it again. So there was some news about display technologies in Apple with the new 12.9 inch M1 iPad Pro mini LED, or as Apple calls it, it's liquid retina XDR display has been the big news. And then there were some people kind of up in arms like Apple's going to change the display technology next year, maybe on the new iPads, talking about maybe they'll go to OLED on the iPads and abandoned mini LED already. I'd love to know your thoughts on that in a second, but just so our listeners know, OLED, which is a screen technology that Apple has been using since the iPhone 10, you can find it in the entire iPhone line now, and also the Apple Watch. Those are OLED screens, and I'll put a link to an article in show notes where Malcolm really goes in depth about the difference between these screen technologies. But Apple Watch and iPhone is currently OLED. I imagine that would stay that way for a while now. We now have mini LED on the 12.9 inch iPad Pro. There is such a thing as micro LED, which is an even you know tighter packed LED type technology. You see this on like LED walls in stadiums or venues. But there's rumors that the 14 inch and 16 inch MacBook Pros that could be announced at WWDC will sport the mini LED technology. And then some people were saying maybe Apple is going to bring OLED to the iPad. Again, these are all rumors and speculation, but it would be interesting if you're curious about screen technologies to read the article that Malcolm had. He really dives into detail. But I will say I'm pretty happy with the mini LED screen on my new iPad Pro, and it looks great. I would love to see it come to MacBooks. It seems like that'd be the most likely next step is mini LED coming to the MacBook Pro line. Maybe we'll see that as soon as DubDub. So what do you think about all this, Wes? Well, there's a lot of discussion surrounding this right now because people are playing the you know world's smallest violin lamenting bloom on the mini led display yes i get it it's there but when you compare it to the previous ipad the entire screen was the bloom the entire right. screen was backlit constantly forever the only reason why you can even see bloom on this display of individual elements is because the other elements are turned off completely if they're on a black screen right apparently we've discovered it's even worse in some apps because developers have been placing gray gradients behind certain icons especially in the youtube app so even more pronounced when those gradients are present because now what should be turned off pixels are lit up to show the gray gradients and it's just this really kind of unsightly bloom effect around certain icons uh, of course that'll all get updated as uh, developers acknowledge the existence of mini led i don't really see it as being a problem and now these rumors of oled are around i think none of this is new um if you've been paying attention for a while uh ming chi kuo has been talking about oled coming to ipad for at least three years now right and a lot of these uh, anonymous sources like two 
usually just mimic what he said. Also, is just a good click-worthy title if everyone's upset about mini-LED. It's like, hey, don't worry, OLED's coming. Even more confusing is the fact that they specifically called out OLED in the iPad Air 5. Right. That doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you bring OLED to the iPad Air and have mini-LED in the iPad Pro when, technically speaking, OLED is the more desirable technology right. because you're getting the pixels shut off at the source. Right. But it's all very strange. When you examine this from a Apple perspective and not your hopes and dreams, mini LED makes a lot more sense than OLED, especially on bigger displays. The iPhone and Apple Watch both have very small displays by comparison, and it's much easier to manufacture and produce on those large sheets of OLED. You're going to get less failure rates across smaller screens, but increase the size to, say, 11 inches, 13 inches. Now you're running into higher failure rates, more expense per sheet. And then the mini LED is just a backlight, right? So you don't even have to change the actual display. You're just changing the backlight. And Apple had to invent a new technology to enable the syncing between mini LED backlight and the high pixel density display. And in doing so, they were able to introduce mini LED in a cheaper and more efficient fashion. That's why also we're not at micro LED yet because those are only on gigantic displays, like you said, the controller isn't efficient enough to fit inside of an iPad or a Mac yet. Yeah. So it's something that Apple has to work on. We'll get it eventually, but cost effectiveness, micro LED is going to definitely uh, be the future of this display technology. Yeah. And I will say I've actually had experience setting up multiple LED walls for like event venues. It's amazing technology for sure, but also like super complicated and takes a large server, you know, like rack mounted server brain to run that entire LED wall, you know, cause it's made up of many panels. I set one up where it's like a hundred 12 inch by 12 inch panels and they all link together over ethernet and power. And then a server controls them all. And then you usually have another machine or computer that's like feeding it the actual media, whether it's video or graphics. So like pretty complicated <laughs> technology. And again, coming to a device the size of an iPad, we're a long way off. We've seen Apple do this before with other technologies. Mini LED is new to the consumer space. Right. It's not really, it's existed, but it's not really existed at this size and at this uh, price range. Apple's going out here to production lines and saying, hey, ramp this up and it's only going to get cheaper. While OLED, even though it's been around for years now and showing up in phones, it is still very expensive and very difficult to make. So just again, from the financial perspective, I wouldn't expect OLED in anything bigger than an iPhone anytime soon. Right. And I'm also going to put a link to your tweet, Wes. You had a side-by-side -side comparison of a 4K footage from your new 12.9 inch mini LED iPad and the previous iPad Pro, which is LCD screen. And it's pretty stark. You know, I've seen different comparisons like this around, but seeing the gray washed out look on the old iPad, when you compare it to the inky black levels that you get on the new 12.9 inch with the liquid red and XDR, it's a pretty stark difference. Colors really pop. Blacks are really nice. And I've been watching stuff on the 12.9 inch iPad Pro and I really tell a difference. I mean, it is a, I think, a noticeable difference. There's been people kind of downplaying the display on the new 12.9 inch. And again, it, maybe it's not earth shattering, but then again, I'll refer back to my interview with Austin Mann from a photographer's perspective. He actually loves it. 
you know, and he actually finds it valuable. Again, he prefers the Pro Display XDR because he can get a non-glossy screen, and so there's no reflections and such. But for a portable device like the iPad Pro with a screen of that quality, XDR, for some mobile creators, it is really useful. And even if you just watch stuff and you're watching stuff that, I don't know, is super dark like Game of Thrones and such, like this kind of display makes a difference, and it yeah. looks really good. I watched an episode of Servant on this iPad and it it just looks great i mean my living room tv it's a sony from say 2017 it isn't oled it's led backlit there's bleeding at the corners from the backlight like it's doing its best but especially in dark shows like servant basically could walk up to the screen and draw like an outline around where the led backlight is shining at that moment because it's just it's insane. I would love mini LED in my TV, but uh, yeah, this this display is ahead of anything that we have at Apple right now, other than the $6,000 Pro Display XDR. It's kind of crazy to me that you can't even get a MacBook that looks as good as this right now, and that'll change soon. Yeah. It's just cool that Apple's decided to roll this out first in this iPad. And uh, I wanted to mention on that tweet that I put out, it was basically in response. I was seeing, again, a lot of this Bloom stuff and like a a YouTube guy, I'm not going to mention him. You, you'll, you, you can easily figure it out. But this YouTube guy with like 54,000 Twitter followers, like he's tweeting out these images of these low angle shots of the screen with exposure turned way up, trying to say like, look at how terrible this display is. And it just, uh, it just irritated me. I'm just like, why, why do people eat this stuff up? It kills me. So I decided I wanted to take some actual photos. And yes, if you get at a certain angle, you'll see the blue shift, like in any display, you can get that bloom to get really bad, especially if you let the camera correct for exposure. It's not great, but to the naked eye, I actually didn't understand the bloom problem when people were first bringing it up because I just hadn't even acknowledged that there was any bloom. Right. Like it just didn't, you know, register as a problem to me. And I had to actually go out of my way to find ways to reproduce it specifically with that uh, YouTube video. And it's just like, okay guys, let's all take a step back and take a breath here. <laughs> Everybody calm down. All right. Well, I wanted to mention Apple put their finalists for their design awards. Apple does this every year. It's always cool to see the apps that are featured there. One Password is featured, Carrot Weather, Craft, which is kind of a newish Notion competitor. I've tried Craft before. It's pretty nice. So those have all been in the our finalists in the design awards. Also Nova from Panic. And I actually didn't know about this app or this suite of apps. They actually make several. It's called Not Boring in parentheses Weather which it looks kind of like a funny title, but they actually have several apps, very, very like stark and opinionated design. I said, I remember these guys. This this was a big deal a couple months ago. Uh, people were talking about moving away from the Swift UI, boring, here's a basically spreadsheet looking app. And this guy's just like, no, I want to have fun with apps again, have new designs that catch the eye and make you think of you know, sci-fi movies and all this stuff or like having yeah. extreme customization. Yeah. And so his name is Andy works is the developer name. And he has three apps right now, the not boring weather calculator and timer. So I'll put a link in show notes so you can check out those apps. Pretty cool. It's different for sure. If you used Android in 2013 and we're going through the widget store for like clock widgets and stuff, this is the kind of stuff you would have found. I mean, yeah. nothing against his design. It, it is interesting. Like I would love to see more, you know, non-game apps look kind of like games. And this is kind of his idea. He said, you know, I, I want to use the game tools that Apple provides like SpriteKit and stuff to design really immersive uh, experiences inside apps and then 
I, it kind of brings me back to like carrot weather where, you know, they're using a lot of Apple's kit stuff, but they're also using a lot of custom stuff and giving users control of the interface. And I personally would love to see more apps just kind of let loose and let users take control in that way. Yeah, for sure. This episode is brought to you by the Business Movers podcast by Wondery. From the iPhone to Pixar, Steve Jobs led a career full of groundbreaking innovation. But his road to Silicon Valley success was a rocky one, filled with failure and burned bridges. From Wondery, on the new season of Business Movers, learn how Jobs took Apple from near disaster to total triumph. Steve Jobs liked to say a computer is a bicycle for our minds. He saw how bicycles elevated our minds and bodies, and he thought computers could do the same for the brain. Jobs had a knack for seeing the big picture, that a computer-animated film like Toy Story could be the future of movies, or that a phone in our pockets could give us a universe of information at our fingertips. From the makers of the hit series Business Wars comes the new season of Business Movers, a weekly podcast that explores the legendary and controversial career of Steve Jobs. Now, I've personally read Steve Jobs' biography by Walter Isaacson, and I've read the book Creativity, Inc. about Pixar, but I love the way that Wondery puts together this story of Steve Jobs. First of all, it's beautifully produced with great music and awesome narration, but the facts and information that they pull from the story of Steve Jobs is just truly inspiring. For instance, in that first episode of the series, I learned that Steve Jobs paid $100,000 for a single logo design for Next. He wanted a mathematically perfect cube and also how jobs tried to strike a deal with bill gates and microsoft with next and how that created a rivalry that lasted for years if you'd love to hear these stories about inspirational leaders and the behind the scenes that went on and next pixar and then when steve jobs returned to apple i highly recommend you subscribe to the business movers podcast they just released the first two episodes of the steve jobs season and there are more to come i'm listening to it right now and i love it so listen to Business Movers, The Enlightenment of Steve Jobs on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen one week early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. So just search for Business Movers, The Enlightenment of Steve Jobs on Apple Podcasts, or you'll find the links to that podcast in the episode show notes. Wondery, feel the story. Our thanks to Wondery for sponsoring this episode. This episode is brought to you by SetApp. SetApp.com. It's a way to try literally hundreds of high-quality Mac and iPhone apps with one single subscription service rather than having to license each and every app. And there's an app for everything these days. Some are excellent, some not so much. And the best way to discover those new and quality apps so you can be successful and productive is SetApp. Again, it's a single subscription for Mac and iPhone apps. SetApp packs over 200 high-quality apps into one. You can quickly find and select the most effective apps you need for tasks so you can stay in your workflow. And SetApp is on a mission to help users get more done. With SetApp, there's no more worrying about having to search for apps to solve a problem. A dedicated curation team picks only trusted developers to ensure you get the highest quality apps at your disposal. And it's also a great value. Instead of paying hundreds and thousands of dollars for separate licenses, you just get one flat monthly fee. And new apps are added to SetApp regularly. Updates are free and all the apps are full-featured pro versions. And just here's some of these apps you can get. If you've wanted to try Ulysses, the writing app, on your Mac and your iOS devices, you can get it through SetApp. Maybe you want to try MindNode or Paste. I've talked about clipboard managers a lot. All these apps are right inside SetApp. And if you head over to setapp.com, you can try SetApp for free, completely free for one week. You can see all the apps and try them out there. And if you like SetApp, 
pay just $9.99 per month as long as it's useful to you and you get access to all those apps. Just one of those apps is probably $9.99 a month, but with said app, you get access to all of those apps across your Mac and your iPhone, 10 bucks a month. Trust me, this is going to be incredibly useful for you. So head on over to setapp.com. That's S-E-T-A-P-P.com. Try it for a full week, totally for free, and then just $9.99 a month after that. Our thanks to SetApp for sponsoring this episode. So there was this email that uh, came out. It was a Steve Jobs email. And in it, there were mentioned several products. One of them was a Mac tablet was referred to. Obviously, it was an unreleased product, but it's something that Apple might have been working on, which was a touch-based Mac. This was pre-iPad era, so that's interesting. And also, a 15-inch MacBook Air was also mentioned. Again, we never saw a 15-inch MacBook Air. We had 15-inch Pro and now 16-inch Pro, but not an Air. And so interesting that they were toying around with those different screen sizes on the MacBook Air-style computer. And I remember I had a graphic design friend, which I think it was around like 2013, 2014 era. He had the old 17-inch MacBook Pro. And so if listeners remember, you can you used to be able to get 13-inch, 15-inch, and 17-inch MacBook Pro. And I remember that 17-inch thing being huge. I mean, it was just a massive footprint. The thing is an aircraft carrier. You could land <laughs> was, a he- helicopter on it. It's it was, insane. It was massive. And I think it even had a PCI Express slot in the side. I mean, this was back when you got all the ports. You get whatever ports you want and had that Express card slot. But he loved it. He loved the larger screen. He had the matte finish on that thing. And so, you know, there's a market for people who want really big laptops. And now we have the 16-inch, so it would probably serve that need. But a larger... Air model laptop is pretty interesting. Listeners, I would be curious, tweet at me. I I would love to know if you would be interested in a thin and light quote unquote laptop, but that has a larger screen, you know, a 15 inch air. I don't know. I'd be curious if that's something people would be into. I mean, you could shove a lot more batteries in that. I mean, I could imagine an M1 15 inch MacBook Air that lasts like days and days and days in battery. Anytime anyone mentions bigger laptops and liking bigger laptops, it always brings me back to, I would say, 2016 era Asus or uh, one of those like gaming laptop companies. Do you remember the 20 pound laptop they made? Not specifically, but I imagine. (laughs) Yeah, it's a 20 pound laptop that like was a gaming station. I think the battery lasted 15 minutes. It's (laughs) it was awful in in every in every aspect. I don't understand who would who would have bought it. I'm I'm sure it was very expensive as well, but it's just one of the most largest, most massive laptops I've ever seen circa 2005 design, but released in like 2016, 2017. And every time someone mentions like, oh yeah, give me the biggest laptop you can make. I said, well, (laughs) careful what you ask for, you know? All right. Last thing before we get to our WWDC preview, I wanted to mention app clips. This was a feature Apple announced, I believe it was last year at WWDC, but I had not had an opportunity to see one or use one ever until recently. I actually went to a mobile gas station and I saw a little sticker on the pump that said app clip, you know, hold your iPhone here. I tried it for a number of weeks and nothing happened. It just said link is broken or whatever, but I tried it again and it finally worked. I I used my camera to scan it, which I guess you don't necessarily have to do. I think you can just hold your phone near it via NFC, but I did a scanning thing. I held my camera up to it. A little banner came down and I tapped it and it quickly installed the app clip after I confirmed it. And it basically opened up this light version of the mobile gas app and it allowed me to pay for gas through this little app clip. 
Pump didn't offer Apple Pay, which I can do sometimes at like Wawa or other gas stations like Racetrack. So there was no Apple Pay option, but with this app clip, again, this little mini app pops up and it was pretty amazing. I didn't have to sign up for an account or anything, but what it does is it asks to use my location, which I said allow once, cause I wasn't sure what else it was gonna do. And by allowing location, it finds what gas station you are located at. And then from there, this little scroll selector pops up and you tell it what pump you're at which it just seemed like a wild experience. So by location into a gas station I was at, I told it what pump number I was at. I think I was at seven. And once I did that, I was able to authorize via Apple Pay. I didn't have to put in credit card information or any billing info. It just used Apple Pay, like any other Apple Pay purchase. And once I authenticated with Apple Pay, I didn't have to put a specific amount in. It just like authorized $0 at first. And then I was all of a sudden able to pump gas. And I pumped gas, did that. And once I was done, I saw another Apple Pay notification saying, you've paid this amount of money to the mobile gas station. And off I went. It wanted me to download the full app. Like there was a little banner that came up several times, like get the full mobile gas experience. And I was like, no, I think I'm good. I don't need that. But overall, it was a pretty incredible experience. It utilized location services to find the gas station. I choose the pump, which seemed a little magical, and then using Apple Pay to pay. And somehow through the cloud and through the internet, the Apple Pay thing authorized that specific pump over the internet and I was able to pump gas. So it was a pretty cool experience. I'll put uh, the image of the chapter art of what the app clip looked like, like the pump selector in the podcast right now. So if you look at the chapter art, you could see that. And I'll put a link to my tweet thread because I kind of tweeted several pictures of what it was like, but it was a pretty cool experience. And it's a real thing. App clips are out there in the wild. Have you ever seen one of these app clips? Well, I uh, just added a tweet of my own to the notes because um, while I was on vacation last week, I think two weeks ago, I discovered that Yelp had enabled their app clip system within Apple Maps. So we were sitting at a uh, restaurant, uh, Denny's or something. I just saw a notification on my phone saying, you know, order through our app or whatever. And um, I clicked on it and it opened an app clip to the Yelp order menu, which allowed you to order from Grubhub. But, you know, (laughs) that was silly. But it did give you access to the uh, full menu from the app clip using your uh, geolocation in Apple Maps. So completely private. And it just it was kind of cool that it kind of popped up on its own. I was experimenting more with this when I got home and found that, yeah, just anything that you search within Apple Maps, if you see an order with Yelp button, Uh, next to the directions button, you click on that and it will open an app clip if you don't have the Yelp app installed. If you have the Yelp app, it'll open that silly thing. But I feel like this is a much better experience than having the Yelp app installed. And it's just pretty cool. And it's something you can try from home right now if you've never experienced an app clip before. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty cool. So I'll put links to those tweets in the show notes. You can check out Wes and I's experience with the app clips. All right, Wes, WWDC. It's just a couple days away as we record, as many people listen to this show. Just so you know, listeners, I'll be doing a recap episode like I do every major Apple event. So look for an episode to pop up Monday afternoon after the WWDC keynote, and I'll try to recap everything that was announced. Usually try to get that in a 10 to 15 minute solo episode where I just kind of download all the info at once and I try to race to get that out super fast. So check that out. That'll be Monday afternoon. The keynote is at 1 p.m. Eastern, Monday, June 7th. So you can watch it, stream it on Apple's website. They usually stream it on YouTube as well. Again, this is an all virtual event. There's no in-person audience, no one physically there. It's just all online, all virtual. And so we've had several rumors about hardware first. And so before we get 
get to the individual OS preview and predictions, let's just talk about the hardware rumors. The big rumor has been that 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros could be announced at WWDC, along with the announcement of the next Apple Silicon chip, most likely going to be something called the M1X with many more cores and much more graphics, horsepower, and all that kind of stuff. There's also been rumors of an Apple display, not a Pro Display XDR, but a lower-priced, consumer-level Apple display, which would be amazing. I would totally jump on that. And then we also have kind of farther rumors about augmented reality, virtual reality, if not a device, maybe just an app kit or developer framework for those platforms. Now, I will just say personally, with all the leaks and rumors, John Prosser seemingly confirming that they're going to happen. I feel like we're going to see those new MacBook Pros with M1X at WWDC, maybe even that Mac Mini that will sport the same M1X chip. So you kind of have a Pro-ish level Mac Mini and Pro-ish level MacBook Pros. After that, I feel less certain about a display or anything AR, VR. I feel like they probably have so much else to announce just based on the operating systems they have. Hopefully iPadOS gets a big overhaul, but I feel like it's pretty certain we're going to see some kind of MacBook Pro, possibly that Mac Mini. What do you think, Wes? Wait, Steven, you're telling me that Apple could release everything we've ever wanted at this one event? No, 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 At, no, at no. least that's what the rumors tell no, you. No, I'm yeah. saying no, no AR, VR, and I don't think they're going to release a consumer-level display. So I'm not claiming they're giving us everything we want. I think just <laughs> MacBook Pros, I think. The the rumor cycle always you know spins out of control, and it, it, everyone gets very excited, and I, I get excited too, but yeah, I, I feel like everyone just forgets sometimes that this is a developer conference. It's for developers, and yeah, I agree. The 16-inch and 14-inch MacBook Pro makes total sense. That is a developer tool. Uh, hopefully, we'll see them release you know no later than like July with actual uh, with a new processor and stuff. So I can see Apple spending some time on that. There's probably not much to talk about with macOS itself. Uh, its big overhaul was last year. We might see some new tools and tweaks to make it a little bit more iOS ish uh, in its design uh, as that trend continues. So Apple probably has plenty of space there to talk about some hardware because again, what are we really expecting for macOS this year other than maybe better iMessage tools? I don't know. We'll get there. <laughs> as far as the the actual hardware, yeah, I, I don't see a display. Maybe, I mean, with this iPad OS thing, again, we'll get there with uh, them maybe doing better display support, it would make sense to get a consumer level display from Apple or even if they just say, and our partner LG has a new rec tangle for you to use that's great oh my word right no. <laughs> we don't need another ultra fine no thank you yeah no 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 ar vr glasses or even a dev kit none of that that's just no if apple does that it'll be a separate event it'll be one of those secret things they do in a new york apartment where they have 10 people show up and try it on and we hear about it afterward so yeah that's that's not a wwdc thing yeah the mac mini thing no that this is a, that's a fall release at the absolute earliest i believe okay just because again i don't see the mac mini needing a m1x processor this is the m2 or series 2 m series processor or whatever yeah it, it's too soon for a mac mini i think so Okay. I'm with Prosser here and the 30 other people who've agreed with him since MacBook Pros makes and then that's software. It. That's it. Well, speaking of software, let's talk about macOS first. Surely we'll see the next version of macOS. This will be macOS 12.0 as we've been on 11.0 for Big Sur. Because before this, it was always 10 point something, 10 point that. Well, no, I guess because we're already on 11.4. They've switched to the points being the throughout the year updates and the big number. Yeah, this will definitely be macOS 12 something. So macOS 12, I'm going to make a prediction on the name. You know, Craig Federighi always does this spiel about 
Apple's crack marketing team and going around California, flying to different locations about the name. And so I was browsing Apple Maps, looking at different places and parks and all that. I feel like they've done several Yosemite names, but near Yosemite, I saw the El Dorado Forest. And so I'm going to predict that I've, I have no information on this. <laughs> no, you know, no one leaked anything to me, but I'm going to say macOS El Dorado. Do you have any predictions on the next macOS name, Wes? I mean, why not macOS Bigger Sir? No. <laughs> no, uh, I, I know, <laughs> no, I know uh, Apple, apparently, looking here at this article, Apple has like a bunch of trademark names that they've hidden in shell companies over the years. There's names like Diablo, Condor, <laughs> oh. Mammoth, Monterey. There's a lot of names that, that Apple could possibly use. El Dorado would be cool. I'm trying to think of like, you know, what the names haven't had any real meaning behind them in the last few years. Uh, no. Sierra, High Sierra. They're all just, you know, California location names. There's not some secret. But I, El Dorado would be a cool one just because it's kind of like the the hidden treasure kind of thing. But right. I don't know. I, I'm with you here. I haven't really thought too much about it. There's a lot of fun places in California Apple could go after. Or we could, you know, this could be a shift. I'll, I'll go ahead and lay it out that... It, Here's my prediction. We get away from location names altogether. We go back to something different because uh, now we're in the M series processors. This is the first full year of Apple Silicon. Uh, last year was the introduction. So maybe we see a complete name change to something else. Uh, maybe not, you know, cats. Maybe we'll do wolves or something. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. Because that's been the two large segments of names. It was cats, tiger, leopard, snow leopard, lion. And then we had places in california those have been kind of the two genres of names so yeah maybe maybe it's time we we did another genre yeah i mean when was that 2012 2013 when we started the whole location thing like uh mavericks well, that that's not a location is it yeah yeah Ma well mavericks was what was it i thought it was a location i think that was kind of the it was the 10th major release it was in 2013 I don't know where that, I don't know what California is. It's, you know, it's a <laughs> mythical place. I've never been. So it's a surfing location in Northern California. So it is a location. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's the name. As far as features, I feel like we haven't seen many rumors or leaks about what could be announced. And that's one of the things that makes WWDC more exciting, even than like the hardware events. Cause sometimes the hardware events, like the day before or the day of we get like, here's what they're announcing. But when it comes to software, Apple can keep a much tighter lid on what features and things will be coming. And so this is more kind of my hopes of what will come leaning on what actually might happen. I would love to see shortcuts come to the Mac finally to maybe not replace Automator, but to bring shortcuts that you can run and program and that sync with your other iOS devices. I would love to see shortcuts on the Mac. I would love to see a design and overhaul of mail, calendar, and contacts. I don't really use contacts on Mac a ton, but especially mail and calendar. I use Fantastical, love it. But when it comes to mail, I just macOS mail still gets a little flaky on me sometimes. And I end up going to Gmail in the web browser or even Outlook in the web browser. So I would love to see mail greatly improved on the Mac. And then there's been a lot of message imagery, like iMessage imagery on some of the stuff that Apple has sent out. In the email that Apple sent out earlier this week, there was Memoji and then there was like message bubbles and even the hash flag, which is if you go on Twitter and you use the hashtag 
WWDC 21. The hash flag is like the little symbol that appears next to it. For the spring-loaded event, it was the legitimate spring-loaded symbol that appeared after the hashtag. But in WWDC's hash flag, it is the thumbs-up message reaction that you would see in iMessage. So it seems like Apple's leaning hard on this messaging. Maybe something's coming feature-wise for messages. That would be probably across Mac, iOS, and iPadOS, but something in messages. And this was something, I actually had someone in a YouTube comment suggest this, something I've heard John Syracuse talk about on ATP, but better photo sharing for families overall. Yes, you could do shared albums, but it is very different than like legitimate sharing of photos between like family members would be and maybe even contact sharing i know a lot of people have questions about like how can i share contacts or groups of contacts across family members within mac os and ios and again because of the nature of these things this would apply to all os's but talking about the mac specifically something when photos messages and then mail calendar improvements and the biggest one i really hope for is shortcuts on the mac what do you think Wes? what do you want you don't really use mac os a ton but is there anything that you would want from mac os well let me make it about the ipad then um <laughs> let's make sidecar better uh right. let me launch sidecar from the ipad yes let, you know let me interact with mac os without having to touch anything on the mac you can do this now with some weird shell scripts yes. like I've, I've dealt with it before you can siri shortcuts can tap into a shell script and wake up the mac and activate sidecar through uh you know your password sharing and all that it's yeah fine it's clunky apple should really be doing this natively yeah, yeah it's very clunky sidecar improvements just better handoff experiences i feel like there's still a lot of things here just interoperability between devices and mac os can get improved apple seems to be adding one of these features every year uh last year we got the scanning documents from your iphone and putting it on your mac that way that was that was a cool feature just more of those would be nice yeah, for sure i'm with you on the messages facetime uh social aspects of this mac of this wwdc everything is Memoji and yes, Apple's been leaning into that a lot in their documentation, but this time it's really present. And uh, I think with the pandemic and everything and everyone moving to less secure systems like Zoom, Apple, I think, is going to want to take a step forward and say, hey, there's this thing over here that we make. It's FaceTime. It's really popular and it works. <laughs> right. They need to make it more appealing to these crowds of any age group. I mean, Zoom, Zoom has penetrated every single type of person and community just because you can share links to calls. You know, you can jump in from anywhere. It, it's just one of those universal systems that everyone has access to. And yes, it's not on Android. So iMessage and FaceTime updates aren't really going to help Android and Windows users. But I could see Apple making the ecosystem move here and at least giving us something. I mean, I've always kind of clamored and I know ping, whatever. I've always kind of clamored for Apple to enter more into social media experiences on iOS. I don't want them to make Facebook or Twitter, but it would be nice if there was a bit more design towards interacting with other people. Like you said, like with contacts and stuff, like if I have a family, if I have family sharing, I should be able to have a family contacts book that automatically syncs between everyone's devices right. or, you know, family calendar events. I shouldn't have to go through the rigmarole of trying to teach my mom or my niece how to, who are in my fa Apple family how to use a, uh, Apple calendars and add this external calendar that I've created. It's just, it's not that hard, but it could be made that, made that much easier just by making an automatic system. Yeah, Apple family sharing seems like 
like I've heard people comment, uh, ATP guys too, that it seems like family sharing is designed by people without families. They, they've never had to use it before. <laughs> they don't have children. They don't, you know, yeah. just little tweaks here and there could really go a long way. I would love, yeah. uh, I had this epiphany, st- stupid idea that uh, I shared on Twitter about like, what if Apple made contacts more of a service, you know, mm. let me create my contact and let give me an easy way, an Apple way through like airdrop or NFC to share it with other people. And then I choose what is shared. And then this Apple contact card could also be used as your identification for apps and app and, you know, Apple sign in and all of that stuff. Like right. stuff like that just seems so low it's like low-hanging fruit that they could easily do right. in a very privacy forward manner i don't see why they don't and it's interesting because in the contacts app like on your iphone there is a card labeled me and it's your contact card that apple will use for like home and work addresses and things like that this feature that you're actually talking about third parties have tried it for a while talking about fantastical flexibits is the developer name who makes fantastical but they also make card hop and they recently put card hop in the same subscription as fantastical so if you subscribe to fantastical you get card hop now in addition for free and card hop card hop has that feature yeah it's really cool yeah it's really cool you can basically share a virtual business card you can customize it to include whatever data you want and it makes it easy to share you can create multiple versions of the card so that way you can have one right. for business friends and right. one for friends. You know, you could just exactly. pop off this card. Here you go. And it's shared as a CSV format so they can just open it in their contacts app. It's great. Like third party apps have figured this out. Again, like Apple, the contacts app, anytime I open it, just like Apple Mail, I feel like I'm opening something from 1997. It's, it's just very database entry. There's no algorithms. There's no Siri AI and like all of that's just not present. It's just, right. you know, you have information we want and we want you to enter it, but we're not going to help you at all. You're going to figure it out yourself. Oh, there's a nickname field. It's buried three levels deep in settings. Right. Don't worry about right, it. Right. Yeah. There's just a lot of things Apple could do here. This episode is brought to you by the Air Med Care Network Fly You Home. So the Air Med Care Network Fly You Home gives you the comfort of home when you need it most. So listen, if you travel, maybe it's for business or even pleasure, and you're often somewhere in the United States besides your home, this is a service that will actually fly you to a hospital of your choice. Yes, I said fly, like via helicopter. If hospitalized more than 150 nautical miles from home, Air Med Care Network Fly You Home will transport you to a hospital of your choice in one of their medically equipped private aircrafts by specially trained nurses and paramedics at no out-of-pocket cost to you. Let me say that again, no out-of-pocket cost to you. They've completed more than 18,000 missions and have over 30 years of experience helping their members. So you can expect industry-leading service that takes care of everything so you can focus on recovering. I don't usually consider what would happen if I got sick or injured when I'm traveling, but if you plan on taking a trip in the near future, I highly recommend AirMed Care Network Fly You Home. For as little as $134 a year, you and your entire household can enjoy complete peace of mind when traveling. Now, as an Apple Insider listener, you can receive up to a $60 gift card when you join. Just go to airmedcarenetwork.com slash apple and use the promo code Apple. That's airmedcarenetwork.com slash Apple and use the promo code Apple when signing up to get a $60 gift card. You can also find the link in the episode show notes for you. Our thanks again to the Airmed Care Network Fly You Home for sponsoring this episode. 
And this episode is brought to you by the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. You've heard me talk about Nebbia before, and I still love using their incredible shower and their wand. It is probably the best shower experience. First of all, Nebbia started in Mexico City where water shortages were a big problem. They came to Silicon Valley to raise money. Tim Cook, Apple's own CEO, was Nebbia's first investor. And then developers from Tesla, Apple, and NASA engineers came together to create the incredible shower experience you get with the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. And what's incredible is they have currently saved over 175 million gallons of water. Now, I know the idea of changing out your shower head can seem intimidating at first, but let me tell you, I'm not a super do-it-yourself guy, and I was able to switch out my shower head in under 15 minutes, super quick. They give you all the step-by-step -step instructions, all the parts you need. They make it super simple. And once you get it installed, you will experience a spa-like shower like nothing else. First of all, I love that the shower is height adjustable, so whether it's your kids or you getting in, you can adjust it up and down. And then, here's the fancy word for it, it atomizes the water to envelop you in water. It has great thermal comfort. I got that word from them, meaning it gets super hot and it can rinse any shampoo, conditioner, soap off you. And again, all while feeling great. This is Nebbia's most advanced and affordable shower yet starting at just $1.99. And it saves 45% of water compared to the standard shower head and has two times better coverage. I also recommend you try their magic wand attachment. It's really cool. It attaches to this little dome you put on the side of the shower and it all works great together. I also have the accessories like the shower shelf. I got it all in the brush nickel finish so that's fingerprint resistant and it looks great. The shower shelf, you can put your shampoos and hang your loofahs on it. And I got the brush nickel towel rack. So you can either stick it adhesive wise or screw it into your wall for a more permanent setup. And again, everything just looks great together. And right now you can get 15% off Nebbia products as a listener of the Apple Insider Podcast. Nebbia doesn't normally do sales, but they've partnered with us for a long time, and this is a great opportunity. So go to nebbia.com slash Apple Insider. That's N-E-B-I-A dot com slash Apple Insider. Take a look at all they have, and then use the coupon code Apple Insider, all one word, when checking out. That's nebbia.com slash Apple Insider, and use the coupon code Apple Insider when checking out. Our thanks to Nebbia for sponsoring this episode. Now moving to iOS, if we're still talking about mail, actually making a legitimate share sheet for mail rather than having to go to like the print screen in order to share an email message and all that kind of stuff. And also features like Snooze, which a lot of other email apps already offer. It'd be great if Apple brings that. But other features talking about iOS, again, the Messages app, it seems like Apple's leaning hard on that Messages thing that maybe features are coming. One of the features I would love to see is for Apple to work their magic around group messages that include both iMessage users and SMS users. And obviously they can't control the experience on the SMS person's side, but as the iPhone user, I would love for message reactions to actually be parsed properly, at least among the iOS people. And again, I guess they can't really send data through because it's an SMS group text, it can't send data to like the other iOS users in that group. But I don't know, if they could work some Apple magic on the Messages app, that would be awesome. Like a conversion of yeah, some kind. something like, like that. They can parse the data and say, yeah, we know this is SMS, but we're going to make it look like iMessage. Yeah, something like that. And then also on iOS, we've had widgets now for a year. They're still pretty young in the iOS landscape. Again, Android has had them forever, but it would be great if widgets could become interactive at this WWDC. This would affect iOS and iPadOS. Being able to interact and do things with the widgets without having to open the app, where something like a Things widget could have a plus button right there on the widget and pressing it means you could create a new to-do right there on the home screen 
rather than opening the app. So interactive widgets. I would also love to see, and there's been a rumor of this, that Apple might revamp or redesign the notifications on iOS. And they did this a few years ago too, making it better than grouping notifications and all that. But I'm not exactly sure what I would want, but I would love to see Apple take another stab at reworking how notifications work on iOS. You remember the uh, rumor about this, right? How they're going to change notifications. They're going to have different modes you can enable, like school mode, work mode, and uh, right. you know, and have different notifications show up at different times of day or depending on where you are location-wise and have a, a lot of customization that way. Yes, that would be great. Kind of like, you know, with screen time now, you can set downtime, which basically doesn't allow notifications except for some favorite contacts that you specify. But it would be great to have more than just downtime. And like you're saying, and that rumor said, having those specific times of day, that would be awesome. I would also love in that notifications vein to be able to turn off shortcuts notifications like properly. There's been that hack that you could do and it still kind of works sometimes or you can go to screen time, show all activity, go down to the notifications, find shortcuts, work a little jig from day previous day to next day and turn off shortcuts notifications. Basically, so when your automations run, you don't get bothered every time. It'd be nice if Apple just put shortcuts in the notification settings so you could turn them off. And then there's been a rumor of a new home OS. This was actually in a Apple job listing. They were listing their operating systems and actually included home OS, which is not currently an operating system that Apple has. And since all the news broke about that job listing, it then changed to tvOS. So curious if that was kind of a leak that Apple might be adding another OS to their line for home OS. Maybe that's for HomeKit and Home Stuff. But if that's the case, I would love to see them give some love to the home app on iOS and iPad, and which is also the same app on Mac, but some changes there. That whole HomeOS thing is pretty weird anyway, because we already know that HomePods run tvOS. So moving to a more specific home-focused ecosystem, we, we mentioned before Apple putting screens on HomePods, like what operating system could it run? And, uh, you know, I, I vote tvOS would make a lot of sense, but, you know, converting tvOS into a touch-friendly home-focused operating system would make a lot of sense. And maybe we could see something like that happen at WWDC. Yeah. Then there are also the rumors of a wireless protocol that would allow lossless over AirPlay to AirPods Max possibility. And then I thought it was interesting that Apple actually launched a brand new landing page on their website for their wallet app slash Apple Pay. And so I'll put a link to the article and then you can find the website there. But there's this long landing page talking about all the things Wallet could do from having payments to loyalty cards to boarding passes to event tickets and all that. Again, not anything new. Apple was just kind of highlighting features that they already have in the Wallet app. But I would be curious if that's kind of a setup for new things that the Wallet app could do or new features that it might get at WWDC. So we'll take a look there. Anything you're hoping for on iOS that I haven't mentioned already, Wes? Just writing off of what you said, the wallet update thing is interesting because we saw with the pandemic, Apple working with like government agencies, creating the track tracking system and creating an API for agencies to create their own apps and stuff with. Uh, what if Apple kind of did the same thing, but for like state IDs, you know, what if Apple introduced said, Hey, we've been working closely with, you know, blah, blah, whoever government agency to get your driver's license and Apple wallet, you know, just yes. that alone would be amazing. I know other countries are working on something like that. The UK apparently is working on some sort of digital ID service. It's just such a long time coming. We've I, I've been hoping for this since I think Apple pay was invented as like, okay, if you can do credit cards, let's do IDs. But you know, it's just never arose to something. Yeah. As far as 
specific updates to iOS. I'm not sure, just refinements all the way around. I already already mentioned, you know, FaceTime and iMessage contacts, that type stuff, updates, that's all included here. I just want better integrations, better awareness of what I'm doing. Like there's cool systems right now where you can edit your contacts by attaching contact names to face photos and then having and then having that bounce back to the contacts app. So when you click on someone's contact photo, it'll suggest other photos in the faces app in photos app. Mm. I don't know if that yeah, yeah, yeah. made sense. I just said this, the same three words 17 <laughs> times, but but that kind of integration is really cool and it's very buried. And it's like, I think that normal users, if they're able to interact with these things better, they could just benefit from it. I think Apple really needs to work on surfacing how you can do things in iOS. Cause I do see a lot of times, like just, you know, in general, Facebook, Reddit, or uh, you know, just people saying, how do you do this? Or I can't believe I can't do that on this, uh, you know, iPhone or whatever. And it's like, right. you can, you just, it's six layers deep in the settings app and you have to know how to uh, do this weird scrolling thing. Who knows? You, you close your eyes and you'll find it right apple tried with like landing pages and like what's the thing you first open the app splash yeah splash pages yeah they, they just ignore that and keep going or whatever but like i just i just think there should be more tool tips in ios in general just popping up and saying hey reminder right. the thing you just did that took 15 minutes you can do it in three using a siri <laughs> shortcut you know and yeah that'd be nice yeah apple's been working on this for a couple years but this goes with like shortcut updates i think there's just a lot here that apple could do to make things just a little bit more visible to users a little bit easier to access yeah another big complaint i've seen from users about like i don't want to see this apple music promo every time i open settings mm, or, or whatever right. three months of apple arcade for free like i don't ever want to see that cool you know google has a little button you press on ads that say never show me this ad again maybe yeah apple could implement something like it just as a as a good favor to users yeah you know absolutely i agree as far as like user facing features or whatever i don't know I guess I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what's next for iOS. I just wait for Apple to give it to me. I would like to just see moderate improvements across the board. Um, I will steal one from uh, Federico Vitici, the passwords section and settings needs to be its own app. Mm, yeah. Sure. They would be Sherlocking like one password or whatever. We need a, like, again, people don't even know that Safari, like the settings app has a password section. Right. They don't even realize that they have the ability to generate strong passwords and save them to their phone and have access to them later. Yes. And anytime I've explained this to people, I've had them say, what do you mean? Uh, generate a hard password. I'll never remember that. You're not supposed to. You just use face ID and log in. It's amazing. And when I show them this, they're like, oh, wow, I never knew it could do this. And it's just right. make it a separate app, Apple. <laughs> yes, that. And it would be amazing if they added the two-factor authentication codes natively in the iCloud password keychain. Yes. So you can you know scan the QR code and you get that one-time password or two-factor, whatever you want to call it, but that six-digit code that changes every 30 seconds. If they could integrate that directly, because 1Password does this and they do it really well. And if you use the app to autofill passwords on... I think iPad. I don't get it to work on iPhone very much. It works on both. It does work on both. And I just get it more consistently on iPad. But if you use it to autofill passwords, it'll copy that six-digit code to your clipboard automatically. And a little notification comes down to let you know that. Then you can just paste it and go. I feel like if there was like direct integration with two-factor stuff like that in iCloud Keychain, and they could just paste it for you and you just log in and it just removes several clicks in the whole process. That would be amazing. And so I would love to see that two-factor stuff come to iCloud passwords. Like one password has a reason for existing outside of this. You know, oh, they're, yeah. they're great for teams. They, they have a lot of cool features, 
But other than that, I'm sorry, 1Password. Apple, steal everything you can. Like, I, I am absolutely okay with you Sherlocking this business because, again, it's a feature, not a service. The service that 1Password provides and Teams uh, and family sharing of passwords and stuff, that's great. Yeah. Uh, and, hey, there you go. Family sharing of passwords. Hey, Apple, that's, get on there it. you go. Okay, well, let's touch on iPad OS. And I say touch on it because I feel like Wes and I have talked about it at length multiple times. I actually had a whole video put out this past week. I'll put a link to that video in show notes talking about my wish list for iPad OS. But this is the big one. We have the M1, iPad Pro, 16 gigs of RAM. Hardware is not a holdup in what iPad can do. It's all about software. And so I'll, you can check out the video for my thoughts on it. But obviously, we need better multitasking, more ability for apps to utilize the RAM, run in the background, the audio intents that Wes has mentioned, input, output, audio settings, all that kind of stuff. I'll also mention two things that I didn't mention in the video. One, you had already touched on, but being able to initiate sidecar to a Mac from the iPad, so you can kind of have a monitor list like Mac mini, and you can just go on your iPad and access it automatically would be great. And this was actually a recommendation from a listener. And I've mentioned it in the past, but want to remind as a feature, it would be great if you could set up Apple Watch using the iPad or Apple just give family setup watches the same feature set as legitimate Apple Watches. And if you don't remember, I talked about it a number of months ago because I actually set up my son's Apple Watch with the family setup where he doesn't have to have an iPhone to use the Apple Watch, but it does not have all the features. You can't do sleep tracking. You can't do some of the health and fitness tracking that you could on just a normally set up Apple Watch. So either allow those features to be done on a family setup Apple Watch or maybe be able to use an iPad to set up an Apple Watch. This way, if someone doesn't have an iPhone, but has an iPad, maybe they have an Android phone or whatever, but they want an Apple Watch, they could set it up using the iPad. And I don't really see a reason why that couldn't happen. So that would be my asks in addition to my video. Wes, did you have any other additions? Well, iPad OS is definitely at a weird spot this year. We're seeing a lot of signs uh, point to big changes coming. The M1 processor, you know, it, it it's designed for the Mac. It runs Mac programs. It runs Mac OS. I don't believe we're going to see Mac OS on iPad. I've seen some suggestions of saying, oh, just make the Mac App Store work on iPad. And I, I don't I don't see that either, but I do see kind of a reverse uh, catalyst type system coming where you developers should be able to easily port uh, Mac OS versions of their apps to the iPad using some sort of um, Xcode SDK. Um, that being said, those apps would need to be optimized for touch because again, the iPad is a touch first system. Apple, I don't believe, will relinquish uh, their control here. They're not going to say, oh yeah, bring tiny cursor points to the iPad interface. Uh, no, like uh, Apple will definitely require e apps even like uh, Final Cut if Apple brings it to the iPad to still be touch friendly. Now, even with those larger interfaces that you can press your big sausage fingers against, I think it will still work fine with, you know, Apple's cursor. And that's another thing. iPad OS cursor support could improve, uh, better hover actions, better yes. click support, maybe better trackpad gestures, customizable features in those respects. I think Apple has a lot they could do here, especially stuff that they've just done on macOS forever. Could definitely see stuff like that uh, show up in this update. The RAM requirements from previous, uh, from like iPadOS 14 was only five gigabytes for apps, couldn't go above that. So Apple could extend this uh, to 10 or 
15, 16 gigabytes for the new iPads. Um, that would allow much more powerful, much more complex apps. Like again, Apple's own pro apps couldn't run on iPad previously because five gigs of RAM just wasn't enough. And now finally we have enough for things like Final Cut to uh, work. Yeah. I would like to see, you know, better multitasking. Uh, I believe there's a couple of what are concepts going around showing layered windows and uh, menu bars with tabs. I'll put a link to this tweet thread. It is Vidit Vargava. Forgive me if I mispronounce it, but he had several concept little videos that he tweeted and he's got an article about it, but actually really cool concepts from bringing a menu bar to iPad, having the app library in the dock, being able to resize apps that you drag out of the app library, kind of overlaid on whatever other app you have going on. So honestly, really cool concept. Something, And it seems like something Apple would actually do. So I don't know, pretty cool. These concepts are cool. And I'm again, I'm not against them. Like if they arrived on iPad next week, I'm I hear, here we go. Sure. But I personally don't believe they would come in this form. They look like a Mac. Apple, again, isn't going to be designing iPad OS to look like Mac OS, uh, no matter how much people wish it. I could see windowing systems similar to what he showed to get that slide over tab and turn it into a window you can just move anywhere on the screen. That would be great. Have more than one of those. Like, say, have window that's just the play pause buttons, yeah. skip buttons, and have it tucked away in a corner you know uh and then like a, a notepad in the bottom left corner stuff like that like that would be great just for having multitasking be more powerful on ipad ways of maneuvering that without it getting too complicated i could see apple doing things like that but we're not going to see full windowing systems i don't want 15 windows open no. behind each other and a stack that i have to manipulate and somehow like there should be limitations here and apple should implement them so um, I don't want to get too carried away, but some kind of windowing or two or three windows open on top of each other. That's fine. But I, I don't want to go further than yeah. that. I could see some sort of menu bar system. Not that one. Again, chunkier buttons, chunkier icons. That's just how iPadOS works. I could see something where you could click an object in the top and have a window display, but it'd be more of a popover rather than a selectable menu. Uh, just because, again, like that would fall under Apple's design paradigms for iPadOS. So stuff like that could definitely happen. And I'm excited to see what they do if they do anything in those venues. Because last year, we didn't see anything change with iPadOS. Um, even the widget support was kind of slapped on. So this year would be the year for an iPadOS UI overhaul. Yes. And uh, hopefully it's integrated in a way that kind of brings apps that already exist into it without too much work right. because uh, I'm, I'm excited to play with this as soon as next Monday. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's jam through the last two. We got watchOS and tvOS. For watchOS, I don't have a ton of feature requests. Again, I mentioned the family setup, making family setup watches have feature parity with regular watches. The big question I think is, will Apple finally allow third-party watch faces? I've not heard any... No. <laughs> <laughs> you think the answer is still no, huh? I don't think I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, everyone's very hopeful, and this is one of those things that's like, come on, Apple, it's so obvious. They don't want to deal with it, but it's one of those things. Yes, Apple has a review system in place for the App Store, but we see how well that works already. The thousands of apps that come in that all look like Minecraft and Roblox every day must be just overwhelming. I I could not imagine the sheer number 
of Rolex ripoffs that we would get in the third-party app store immediately, not to mention all of the watch faces. Like, could you imagine having to have, like, how would you even critique that? Would you have to have access to a database of every image of every watch ever made and prevent any of them from slipping through? It's just... Mm, yeah, that's true. I feel like there's a way, like, there's a copyright system, there's a trademark system, obviously. They all sue each other all the time um, over in the watch world, so there's obviously a method in place, or that, or they just watch each other like hawks to make sure they're not ripping off each other's designs right but for apple to do that by themselves just seems insane and difficult now i will say that to contradict myself that apple could introduce a partner like system where they could ask someone like rolex or uh, swiss watch companies or something to make custom watch faces for the apple watch uh or quote unquote trusted developers right. and how you get into that who knows but just have a wide open Watch market? Nope, no way. Yeah. Not going to happen. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see. And then finally, tvOS. You know, not a ton can really be done. Usually tvOS is like the first one that Tim Cook will mention with like one or two updates. I'd be curious if they redesigned the watch now slash TV app. It's been, I think, a year or two with our current design. So I would just love to see what they do with that. And then one suggestion, this actually came from a listener, Jared. He sent me an email, I believe, but he actually asked the question, do we think Apple will ever add a Apple News app to the Apple TV. And I thought this was a very interesting question because in the last year, Apple has done its Apple News Today podcast. That's a weekday daily podcast, Monday through Friday. It's like nine or 10 minutes. And they do the headlines basically. And it's an Apple first party podcast. And thinking about their services, play and all that, and you have Apple News Plus as far as you get additional content in the news app on your iPhone, iPad, and Mac, I'd be very curious, and I feel like it could be a possibility that Apple would do a video version of their Apple News Today, and that be something that is added to tvOS as some kind of like news tab or news app on tvOS. Maybe it's a first-party news deal, like they do their same Apple News Today, but just via video, having the two hosts go back and forth. And it could also incorporate other news sources and channels like Apple News Plus, the app pulls in articles and headlines from all the different news sources, have it be a video driven news channel. Maybe it's, you know, full channels where you could just tune into CNN or whatever, or it could just be videos kind of curated by Apple from different news sources. But I thought that was a very interesting idea and it feels like something that they could add and it might be a good uh, feature that comes soon. I don't know what you think, Wes. Well, as far as the new stuff goes, uh, do you remember when um, the morning show was kind of like leaked or announced or whatever uh, back in the day? And everyone's like, Apple's going to have a morning news program on Apple TV. Right. Uh, they thought that was like going to actually be like a daily newscast. And it's like, wait a minute. Why is Jennifer Aniston attached? <laughs> uh, but the news aspect of this, I've thought about quite a bit. Uh, it ties directly in with the news app and news plus Apple TV, the app on Apple TV. The confusing. Right, I love right. it. It has a news area in it, and you can see live news channels and like updates and things. Like, there's right. things you can click on. There's also a sports section. Those could definitely be pulled out into its own news app. And, like you said, yes, like I could see there being a daily news um, little video cast, right. and that, that would be cool. But personally, I, I believe it'd be very much more like, like you said, like the news plus section, we could get some exclusive uh, Wall Street Journal, you know, Joanna Stern videos and stuff put in there alongside a stream of headline reports from ABC and NBC yeah. and stuff. Yeah. The only thing I see uh, 
it, it's just such an obvious feature that I could see happening just because like other apps have been doing this for a while. I remember there being an app on the Apple TV that just you hit play and it just you and it says, how long do you have? And you say five, 30, one hour, and it'll just <laughs> create a random generated playlist of the last like day's worth of news uh, wow. and let you just sit there and watch it or whatever you play it in the background. So something like that would be cool for Apple. I mean, they wouldn't do that feature, but right. just aggregating news content, it makes sense. And I could see that being on the TV platform. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Well, listeners, let us know. You got a couple days as you listen to this to let us know your predictions or your desires for WWDC. Tweet at myself, tweet at Wes. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you there. Also, don't forget to give the show a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. That will greatly help out the show. Plus, you can get an ad-free version and just support the show at patreon.com slash appleinsider. And don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider that comes out every Monday. It's our podcast about HomeKit and smart home devices. And Apple Insider Daily, you get the top Apple news headlines in just a few minutes in podcast form. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to tune into that special recap episode Monday, June 7th of everything Apple announces at WWDC. We'll catch you next time.